This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Good morning, I'm Jim Mohart. Today we'll be reading Exodus 15, 19-27, which can be found on page 57 in your Pew Bible. That's Exodus 15, 19 through 27. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has, th- has thrown into the sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, They could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. The people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log and threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where, they were, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Good morning. I'm Jimmy. It's a joy to be here with you. I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for the fact that uh, God is blessing us in many ways. I'm very grateful for our pastors, for Chris and for Adam. And uh, we've been very blessed here. I have a chance to be in uh, lots of churches around the country. And I can tell you, uh, we we hit a home run here. Just in case you don't know that, we hit a home run here. And we have amazing pastors. So uh, I'm very, very grateful. So uh, thanks, brother, for this chance to be here with you. Chris has been talking for uh, weeks and weeks um, about forgiveness, about the Sermon on the Mount. And so we come to a passage uh, this day that I think will tie in and I think will be very, very practical. So I'd love to pray one more time before we jump in. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time together. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Be glorified in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's unforgiveness in your heart, it can be a cancer to your soul. Because unforgiveness can lead to a place of where you're just really bitter. And a place of bitterness is a terrible place to be. There there was a man who had hurt my family. He uh, had done some things and caused pain to my family, and I was angry with him. And you know you're angry with someone when you begin to hope things for them. 
you hope that things don't go well in their life. You hope that they experience some trouble. Uh, you hope that they experience some, you know, just some real disappointment. And I knew that I was angry with this person because I was hoping that he would experience just some disappointment, which kind of gave me a sense that I'm going beyond anger to a place of bitterness. As a matter of fact, I hoped that he would be so disappointed, and that disappointment for me involved actually a football game. Now, I'm sure that in this room there are some K-State fans. Is that true? Okay, you, you need to stop after church and thank the guy right over there named Doug Hoppick who turned K-State football around in, in like the 1980s because you were the worst in the nation. He, you know, turned the whole thing around. But K-State was about to play Oklahoma. Oklahoma was number one. K-State was number eight. It was a huge game. It was right here in Kansas City. I had four phenomenal tickets. And then my son and a friend and his son, we had plans to go, and it was just going to be a great time. My friend, who I was angry at, was a huge K-State fan, so I determined I would cheer for Oklahoma just to spite him, just hoping that that would cause him some pain in life because I was that angry with him. And so I began to just have these great plans. I want to go to the game. I might even, you know, buy like some Oklahoma gear, even though I'm not a big Oklahoma fan. I might buy some gear just because I was that angry with him. And I remember that there was a day that I was driving, and it just began to just overwhelm me that I had come to a place of real bitterness. And I began to cry out to God and say, okay, God, I don't think it's a good thing that I'm bitter, and I, and I want just to let this go, and I pray that you would just allow me to let this go. And actually, I had some pride that I got to the point where I could even pray that prayer. I thought, you know, I'm doing pretty good. And I felt God say, you know what, keep, keep going in that prayer. Okay, Lord, I, I just pray that may, maybe I'd pray that you'd bless this guy, and maybe, maybe he shouldn't have all this harm come to him. And I just remember God spoke to my heart in the clearest way possible and said, give him your football tickets. And I thought, oh, dear God, no, anything but that. These are <laughs> these were expensive tickets. These are great tickets. It's, it's the Big 12 Championship. It's a big deal. It's an arrowhead. I'm not going to give him my tickets. And God once again spoke very clearly to my heart. Give him your tickets. And I thought, I, I'm, I can't be hearing this correctly. I, this has to be wrong. It just drove a bit further. And that just began to just stir in my heart over and over. And it was ironic because I had actually those tickets with me. And I called up this guy, and he was very surprised. I called him, and he said, I'm surprised to hear from you. I said, yeah. Um, hey, are you going to the K-State Oklahoma football game? He goes, oh, no, but gosh, I'd love to go. I'd love to take my boys. And I said, you know, just kind of grimacing, thinking, God, maybe, you'll, maybe my, my heart will change here. I said, uh, would you like four tickets? They're pretty good seats. And there's just this long pause. And he said, are you joking? I said, no, as a matter of fact, I have them in the car and I could stop by right now. So I stopped by gave him the tickets. Didn't feel much better. Actually, I felt worse after I gave him the tickets because I thought, now I've got to call this other friend and say, hey, you know that game? We're not going to be going to that game. But I realized that I was beginning to lock myself into a prison because there was real bitterness in my heart. You see, bitterness happens when unwelcome guests called anger and sometimes rage they come to your house as unwelcome guests and they become long-term residents and they turn into bitterness. 
And sometimes I realize that that anger and that bitterness can be towards other people. Sometimes it can be towards God. I have a chance to work with lots of churches, and the theme that I see all the time is it's so easy to harbor unforgiveness, which can lead to a spirit of bitterness. And it's hard to move on from bitterness, but you can move on from bitterness. And the only way to move on from a spirit of bitterness is only by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no doubt bitterness is everywhere. There's bitter people. They're walking around. It's like a toxic waste dump in one sense. And if you're bitter, oftentimes the only people attracted to you are other bitter people. So we're going to walk through this amazing story about Mara and the fact that the Israelites are brought to this place of Mara. So we're going to uh, we'll walk here through three things. We're going to talk about the methods of Mara, the marks of Mara, and the miracle of Mara. So first of all, the methods of Mara. So there's a context here. The Israelites, they had been enslaved, and they'd been in Egypt, and God graciously, amazingly calls them out. And we know the story about the ten plagues and what they go through, and they're finally brought out, but there's that great tension. If you've ever watched that movie, The Ten Commandments, you know what happens. And they come to the Red Sea, and they feel like, okay, it's all over, but God, in this amazing miracle, parts the waters, and they're able to pass through. And we know what happens when they pass through, because they sing the song we just read. They sing that amazing song, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. And so they have this day of celebration. So after they cross the Red Sea, we know what they all do actually on day one. They celebrate, and we know day three, because it's in the story. Day two, we have to speculate a little bit. I want to guess on day two, after they cross the Red Sea, I want to guess they're still talking about that. Now, keep in mind that most of the scholars say it's about 2.1 million people. So it's essentially Kansas City. It's essentially greater Kansas City crosses the Red Sea. You just think about that. It's a staggering thought. Along with their livestock, along with their animals. So they have all of these things and they're crossing. It is an incredible miracle. But on day two, I want to speculate and just guess that, wow, wasn't that amazing? Can you believe that God rescued us? By the way, I am a little bit thirsty. I just thought I'd mention that. Feeling a little thirsty here. But hey, that was amazing just a couple days ago. Day three, we know what takes place. Day three, there's panic. There's desperation. It's interesting that they've just crossed through water, and now the issue is water. I don't know if we really understand what it means to be thirsty. I don't know if you've ever really been thirsty. There was one point in my life I was overseas, and we did not have water for 14 days. It was terrible. We had some liquid. I don't know what it was. It wasn't water. Uh, but if you're really thirsty, it's just you just can't even describe it if there's that point where you're just parched. And that was the place where lots of Israelites lived. They lived at the point where they were desperate for water, they were desperate for thirst. And there's so many passages that just cry out about this, like Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So the Israelites understand water means life. We need water to live. And so the passage says that they go on for three days into this just barren, barren wilderness. It's a desert. 
and they find no water. Then they come to a place called Mara, but it says that they could not drink its water because it was bitter. Therefore, it's called Mara. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, what are we to drink? You see, when they arrive at this place of Mara, they have some assumptions. The assumptions are, okay, we're going to be able to drink water. We're going to be able to be strengthened and renewed. We're going to be able to make sure that our livestock have water. We're going to be able to get refreshed and move on. We come to those places in life, and we have assumptions. We just assume that life will go a certain way. We assume marriage will go a certain way. We might assume that we might have kids, that that might go a certain way. You might assume your job will go a certain way. You might assume that your health will go a certain way. But there's times in which we have these assumptions, and we come to a place, and it's not what we expected. It's not what we had hoped for in life. We come to that place and we think, wow, I I did not think that this would happen at this point in life. And it's a place where we can potentially become bitter. We can become angry. It might be a God. It might be also with others. But there's times in which we hold things against God. We say, God, you did not deliver. We hold him guilty for things that he never promised to do. But we hold God in contempt. And we say, God, where were you? Where are you? There's bitter waters, there's faithless fears, there's grumbling hearts. It's interesting, but in between now and the time that they get to the Ten Commandments, it, we're told 12 times that the people are grumbling. They're just, they're just discontent, they're just angry, and they're grumbling at this point against Moses. They're bitter. They've come to a place where they would thought they would be completely satisfied, and it was not that. It's a lot like the fact that they're just about to to cross over the Red Sea and they grumbled against Moses. It's the same type of grumbling. They don't believe that God is with them. They don't believe in God's gracious provision. And there's times in which I think, what is wrong with these people? How could they forget three days ago they just crossed the Red Sea? Three days ago they experienced this incredible miracle and now they're grumbling against God. These people are fools. What's wrong with them? Crossing the Red Sea is not the greatest miracle in the world. The fact that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that's the greatest miracle in the world. And I forget that every day. Every day I forget that. That's the greatest miracle. The fact that Jesus would impose his blood, the fact that Jesus would call us to be his own, the fact that he would call us to be his children, that is the greatest miracle, and I constantly forget that. But there's this place of Mara, and there are those methods of Mara. There are those things which just cause us to want to stay there and become bitter people and to drink those waters of bitterness. We begin to rehearse over and over again in our head how we have been wronged. We're unable to let go of past hurts. We keep that fire alive. We stoke it with those painful memories. We think about supreme disappointment. We wish harm upon the other person. We rejoice if there are some things in their life that go badly. We begin to play the game of what if, if only, I deserve more, if it would have only gone this way. And oftentimes the Mars in life, they're, they're ex- extreme disappointment, at times unforgiveness, which can lead to a place of bitterness. 
At some point in life, everybody comes to Mara. And I want to guess that you come to Mara over and over again because life is filled with some hard things. Life is filled with things that we did not expect, that we did not plan on. They just happened. So I think that there's times in which I have to just evaluate myself and I have to say, okay, am, am, am I putting down some tent pegs in Mara? Am I starting to pitch a tent there? Am I going to stay there for a while? Do I build a vacation home? I don't live there, but I go there often. Or do I start to build, build a foundation and say, you know what, this is where I'm going to spend my life. A lot of people camp out. Eventually, they build homes, and they just become bitter people. You know those people. You meet them, and you talk to them, and it's not long until they have a story about how they have been so wronged in life, how things have gone so terrible in life. They're so angry with God, or they're so angry with this person. It's a cancer that has impacted their soul. Now hear this clearly. It is not wrong to be at Mara. Mara is a part of life. There's disappointments in life. There's heartache in life. There's brokenness in life. It's wrong to stay at Mara. It's wrong to camp out for long term and make that our home and to say, I'm going to stay here and this will become my place. So let's go on to the marks of Mara. Because there's consequences of bitterness. You see, many people, when they encounter these hard situations, don't pass through Mara. They stay there. They think, I'm just going to absolutely stay there. You see, it's not just anger, it's bitterness. Because if you're angry, you hope for an outcome in your favor. You hope that things go right for you. But if you're bitter, you hope that go, things go right for you, and you hope that things go badly for other people. It's like jealousy and envy. It's like, I'm jealous. That means you have more of my idol than I do. I'm envious. You have more of my idol. I want your idol, but I want you to stop having that thing that I want. It's that step beyond. It's envy. It's that bitterness. It's that thing which can absolutely grab your heart and twist it, and it can shrivel your spirit. So are the hard things in life to come, those things that come that might make you angry, that might make you have this your spirit of unforgiveness? Do they cause you to stay in Mara or do they push you on ultimately into the arms of Jesus? So what are the marks of Mara? Well, we know that we're there when we start to minimize our part in the whole thing. We tend to constantly say, well, it really wasn't my fault. It's not my sin. It's not my bitterness. We downplay all of our wrongdoing. We conceal, we defend, we pose, we pretend, we deny, we hide, we exaggerate, we rationalize. It's a long, long list. Oftentimes, if there's someone else involved, we play the 60-40-20 game. And we say, okay, well, I've got this conflict with this person, and because of this person, I'm starting to have some bitterness. I've got some extreme anger, and I think it's bitterness. But as I think about this conflict... I think they're 60% responsible. I think I'm 40% responsible. Therefore, since they're 20% more responsible, it's really not up to me to do anything. It's really on them. As if we have this mindset that the wrongs that the other person has committed somehow cancels out our sin. And so we begin to play that game where we rationalize. And we think about these things. You see, the solution is not to fix other people. The, the, the real solution is to gain a heart that is increasingly grateful for the, for the amazing grace that came from the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you have been hurt very, very deeply. 
Some of you have been through terrible experiences in life. And you feel like you're trapped in Mara. You're trapped in a place of bitterness. You hang your heart on negative expectations. And yet the one thing that you long for in life, the only thing that can ever free you is one true love. And the one true love you desperately need is Jesus. And that's when we talk about the miracle of Mara. The miracle of Mara, which is really how the cross frees us from a spirit of bitterness. So, the Lord wants us to move on from Mara, but it's only possible because of Jesus. So it's amazing that this, this crowd grumbles, this crowd of millions of people grumble against Moses. And it says, amazingly, Moses does not fight back. He doesn't grumble back. He prays. And it says that God shows him a log. He shows him a piece of wood. And this just sounds like the craziest story in the world. He shows him a piece of wood. He throws the piece of wood into this, this lake, this place called Mara, and the waters become sweet. How in the world do the waters become sweet? Is, is it a chemical? Is it a miracle? We don't know, but we know this, that it was absolutely grace. Grace was always present. And it's such a powerful story because that story points to the cross of Jesus Christ. It points to the fact that there would be another piece of wood that would be thrown in the midst of our lives. There would be another piece of wood, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, which would be the thing that would bring us hope. It would bring us encouragement. It would bring us life itself. This passage is pointing to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is only the cross that takes us on. It is only the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that can take bitter experiences and actually make them sweet. We desperately need this because maybe you're trapped in unforgiveness. Maybe you're at a place where you're thinking, listen, I've been angry at a lot of people. I've been angry at God for a long time and I don't know if I can actually move on. But we need to move on. Because the greatest threat that we face as a church is not COVID, it's not Christian nationalism, it's not racial issues. The greatest threat we face as a church is a spirit of unforgiveness, which will not allow us to experience the fullness of the blessing of the cross of Jesus Christ and what that has accomplished for us. That is the greatest danger, that is the greatest threat as a church. So, how in the world can we move on? What does the cross do to free us? Jesus tells a great story about this in Matthew 18. So you know what? If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to page 823, uh, we're going to uh, look at Matthew 18 and start off in verse 21. It's a well-known story, but it's such a powerful story about the cross, about forgiveness, about bitterness. Then Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I still have to forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, there's lots of translations of that. It's seven, you know, it, you can say, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's just, it just goes on forever. It could be just unending. There's not going to be a point in which you say, okay, I've hit my quota. 
It goes on and on and on. And so Jesus tells this amazing story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a king who wished to square accounts with all of his servants. And when he began to work on all of these things, he brings in one who owes him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents sounds like a lot, doesn't it? But we don't know exactly how much that is. It's a lot. Because a denarii is a one day's wage. A talent is 10,000 denarii. And so when he owes him 10,000 talents, in the most easy way to kind of work that out as far as math, he owes him $500 billion, a half a trillion dollars. Now you think, how in the world does a person rack up that kind of a debt? Well, obviously he had to be somebody that was in charge. He had to be like a sub-king who, who, you know, who had a big hand in things. And somehow he racks up this staggering debt. Half a trillion, $500 billion. He could not pay. Surprise, surprise, right? So his master said that he should be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had until they could pay it back. But the servant fell on his knees, implored him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master released him and forgave him the debt, which is, that's a staggering thought, isn't it? $500 billion wiped off the books. Incredible. But that same servant went out and he found one of his other servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's about $10,000. Now listen, that's not insignificant. That's not insignificant. But compared to what he was just forgiven, it's comparatively nothing. He seized him. He, and he starts to choke him. And he says, pay what you owe. So this servant fell down and he pleaded with him in the way that he had just done as well. He said, have patience with me and I will pay you. So we think, well, any rational person who had just had $500 billion forgiven, this person owes him $10,000, surely he will forgive him. But he doesn't. He refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he should pay back the entire debt. But his fellow servants saw what took place, and they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you have not have, should you have not have had mercy also on your fellow servant as I had on you? And in anger, his master delivered him over to the, the jailers until he should pay back all of his debt. And then this zinger at the end of the story. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. If someone does not forgive, they are like the man who is thrown into jail and tortured. In other words, if there's an unforgiving heart, it leads to eternal punishment. God has a blueprint for Forgiveness, And it's a blueprint to free us from our self-imposed prisons. You see, there's a staggering amount of hurt in this world. And so, some of you, it's hard to forgive. You've been hurt. 
and you're mad. Maybe you're mad at Congress. Maybe you're mad at the stock market. Maybe you're mad at the president. Maybe you're mad at the ex-president. It might be a spouse. It might be your ex-spouse. Maybe you're mad at a parent. Maybe you're mad at a child. It might be a friend. It might be a former friend. It might be a pastor. It might be a neighbor. It might be a boss. It might be a coworker. It might be your mother-in-law. It might be your father-in-law. Some of you are bitter with someone who has passed away, and you don't know what to do with that bitterness. You feel very, very trapped by that. Listen, forgiveness is not a feeling that leads to an action. It's an action that leads to a feeling. And there's going to have to come to that place where you're going to have to release this and forgive. Forgive God, forgive others, and let those things go, or else you will be trapped in a place of extreme bitterness. And the only way to do that is to embrace the cross. To embrace the cross. Because when you understand what someone has done to you, and you also understand what your sin did to the Lord Jesus Christ, forgiveness becomes not easy, but easier. Because you begin to understand things as far as comparison. Because no matter how deeply you've been hurt, the worst thing possible that you could ever imagine has been done to you. As significant as that might be, comparatively, it is nothing compared to what your sin did to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your sin put him on the cross. That's where he wound up as a result of your sin. God has graciously forgiven us. Jesus Christ, because of the cross, has graciously extended forgiveness to us. Therefore, we should extend forgiveness to others. And when we don't extend forgiveness to others, it, it kind of actually reveals the fact that we don't know what Jesus did for us. We don't understand the depth of the cross. We don't understand the great exchange. We don't understand that it was our sin for his righteousness. We don't understand that it was our self-righteousness for his perfect righteousness. We have missed that. We don't understand it. Because if we do forgiveness, it's never easy, but it's easier it's easier to say, okay, because of what the Lord has graciously forgiven me, I need to be able to go on. Things might begin to change in your heart. Maybe there's a person that you've been angry with, and when you begin to see the cross clearly, maybe you start to stop rooting against them and you start to actually cheer for them. You're, you're actually cordial when you're with that person. It might be painful, but you're actually nice. When you speak about that person, you affirm them. You might even praise them. And you pray. You pray for that person's well-being. You pray that God will bless them and that they will prosper. You see, you have to be humble in order to forgive. Because if you feel superior, it's just not going to happen. You see, there's a price of unforgiveness. If you're stuck, if you're stuck in Mara, there is a deep price because it begins to cause more and more disunity, disruption in families and the church. It opens the door for Satan to have a foothold in our life. It makes us absolutely miserable. There's a place in which Moses is crying out to God and God speaks to him and says, throw that piece of wood into that water. And then God makes this amazing statement. I am the Lord your God. I am Jehovah Rapha who heals you. 
That's one of the great names of God, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is our healer. He doesn't say, if you obey, I will be your healer. It says, listen to me, because I am the God who, who has healed you. Listen to me, follow me, because I am your healer. 2,000 years ago, you, have a, you had a $500 billion debt forgiven. Think about that. Man, what a day for you. 2,000 years ago, you had a debt forgiven of $500 billion when Jesus Christ gave his life upon the cross. And as you embrace that gift, as you embrace what he did for you, that is the ultimate forgiveness. The currency of Christ's forgiveness is nails and wood. That's the currency that he used to do this for you. So you've got to choose that thing in life. You can choose the pain that will heal you or choose that pain which will enslave you. Because if you forgive, it's going to be hard. There will be pain. It's not easy. But some of you need to make some phone calls today. You need to just extend forgiveness today. You need to extend forgiveness because you're seeing more and more of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. Some of you need to just, in your mind, you need to pull up your tent pegs. You need to say, yes, I'm at Mara. I'm in a place where I'm angry. I feel bitter. I feel like I'm stuck there. I feel like I've been angry at a lot of people for a long time. And you need to break down the foundation today and say, Lord, take me on to Elam because I don't want to stay in Mara. Again, it's not wrong to be at Mara. It's wrong to stay there. It's wrong to live there because Mara is a part of life. You find out that you have cancer. There is a car accident. Be, you know, I mean, I mean like your job, it does go away for some reason. We come to Mara's over and over again. And the question is, when you come to those Mara's, how do you handle that? What do you think about the Lord Jesus? What do you do? I was on a flight, sat down by this young gal, and we began to talk. She was very, very talkative, and I learned that her husband played in a jazz band, and she, she mentioned this band, and I said, really, I know that band. I mean, they, they're very, very well-known. She goes, yeah, they're very, very well-known, and uh, she began to say, you know, that we go to lots of places, and we get to do amazing things, and I get to go to lots of parties and hang out with lots of celebrities, and she dropped a lot of different names, and uh, she just wanted me to know how great her life was. But it's a, it's a long flight, and we continue to talk. And as we continue to talk, she shares a little bit more about, well, you know, maybe some things in my life have not gone so well, and there have, has been you know, some heartache. There's been some pain. And as the flight goes on, she just kind of worked through all that stuff on the surface and came down to a very gut level and said, you know, there's some hard things in my life and there's been some pain in my life and pain with my parents and I haven't spoken you know, with them in a long, long time. And, and she just began to just share. And it was just a great privilege of mine just to be able to share about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just heard about God's forgiveness and how God can bring transformation. She's got tears in her eyes. It's a beautiful conversation. And you know how there's those times where you're on a plane and you talk for a long time and you're just about to walk away and you say, oh, by the way, what's your name? I said, oh, I, you know, I'm sorry. We've talked this whole flight. I'm Jimmy. What's your name? And she said, my name is Mara. 
I said, that's an interesting name. Do you, do you know what it means? And she said, I know exactly what it means. It means bitterness. And I've been angry with my parents my whole life that they gave me that name. What a terrible name to give somebody. And I said, do you know the story in the Bible about Mara? And she said, no, I've never heard it. So I briefly told her about Mara, and I said, you know, Mara means bitterness, but I want you to understand this. Mara was a place of transformation. Mara was a place of healing. Mara was a place of change for people. Because what was bitter at Mara became sweet. And maybe, maybe God has a calling on your life. Maybe he wants you to be a person that brings enough good news of Jesus Christ to people that it could help the bitterness in life to become sweet. And she starts sobbing. Now, it's always awkward when you're next to a woman on the plane and she starts sobbing. And you want to turn to people around you and say, we're just having a conversation here, sorry. <laughs> just having a conversation. She, she, she just starts sobbing. And she said, for the first time in my life, I have some hope. For the first time, I have some hope, not just for life, but for my name. It was a powerful conversation. Psalm, there's a psalm in which the psalmist cries out and said, Though you have made me see many troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life. Because beyond Mara, there is Elam, where there are 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. It's like an oasis in the middle of the desert, and God takes them through Mara to Elam. And in Elam, they are refreshed, and their life has changed. Understand this, besides every Mara, besides every Mara in life, there's a tree that grows. And the tree that grows points us to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only as we embrace the cross that we can release forgiveness and move on in life. Besides every Mara, a tree grows. Beyond every Mara, there is an Elam. There's an Elam, a place of great refreshment, of great joy. It's not easy to get to Elam, but understand that God's grace is there, and he wants to take you to Elam. So today, if you're stuck at Mara, I pray that God would bring deep transformation, not by you trying harder, not by anything that you can try to just conjure up in your heart, but by you just seeing the cross a little bit more clearly. And understanding that you had a $500 billion debt forgiven. Jesus tells that story because he wants us to understand this is what your sin has done. But this is the depth and the breadth of my forgiveness extended to you. And so that would, that's what brings us to the, the joy of the Lord's Supper. It's a picture of the cross. It's a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. This week, I had a shirt that was the wrong size. I took my shirt back and I exchanged it. You know, when we take this meal, it's an exchange. 
We're exchanging our sin for, for, for actually Christ's righteousness. It's the great exchange. We take all of our brokenness, all of the junk in our life, and we exchange this for what God offers us. And so it's a picture of, gosh, Lord, you're going to take all of my sin and you give me all of your righteousness. That's what this meal constantly reminds us of. It's a beautiful picture to say, Father, thank you that I have the righteousness of Christ because of the cross of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, if you have embraced that, this meal is absolutely for you. If you've not embraced that, if you're not there, if you're thinking, I, I don't know if I believe that, I would ask you, don't partake of this meal. But as you don't partake of this meal, I want you just to think and to pray and to understand this, that all of us are spiritually poor and bankrupt before God. Even when we put forth our very best efforts, we appear as beggars clothed in filthy rags. Yet in Jesus Christ alone, God has graciously provided righteousness for us. A wealth that comes straight from heaven, goes straight into our account from the Son of God and what he accomplished upon the cross. Jesus Christ made himself poor that we might receive the richness of the Lord. It's incredible. It's the great exchange. So the worship team is going to come back up as I pray. And as they sing and as we have a chance just to worship, I want you to partake of this meal and just be reminded of the great exchange. Be reminded of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you promised us in your word that as far as the east is from the west, so far our transgression has been removed from us. Father, if you kept a record of all of our sins, who could possibly stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are to be feared. We thank you that love keeps no record of wrongs. Father, I know that in a room this size, there are many that feel trapped in Mara. Maybe they've been there for a month. Maybe they've been there for decades. And their anger is turned to a place where it has ruined their life. Father, we would pray that this day, that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, that all of those things in life which have been bitterness, that they would actually be transformed to sweetness. That, that, that's a miracle. That is an absolute miracle. Only you can do that. So, Father, may you transform hearts this day. Bring us new life. Bring us new hope. Bring us a new understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We give you the glory Thanks and praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.